You are listening to the Sharp End Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I'm your hostess and creator of the show. I am happy to say that this podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since the 1860s. Driven by a continuous quest for innovation, Mammut's technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, avalanche safety and alpine equipment are distinguished by the highest quality, functionality, and safety. They embody Swiss technology and perfection. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thank you to the Colorado Hour Bound School and Health IQ for being contributing sponsors of the Sharpen Podcast. The accident that I present to you today is an incident that happened in February of 2017 in British Columbia. I'd like to welcome 34-year-old Ryan to the show. Uh, my name's Ryan Bowie, a uh, single dad of two great kids, Romeo and Molly. They're nine and seven. They keep me pretty busy and uh, they're pretty supportive of my adventures and lifestyle and their little adventures and the making them hoping. I'm a full-time professional firefighter for the city of Fort St. John, British Columbia. Uh, when I'm not busy working or being a dad, I definitely like to get off the beaten path. And climbing is kind of my passion. I consider myself a novice climber. I've been mountaineering for probably nine years. Uh, the early years were mostly low fifth class and scrambling and then progress to alpine routes and spending most of my time in the Canadian Rockies. Uh, Matt and I, he's a good buddy of mine, my main climbing partner. We decided to get into ice climbing only about three years ago, um, mostly just to up our mountain game. And Tumbler Ridge, British Columbia, is a small town a couple hours away from us, and they have piles of waterfalls there and it turns out that a lot of them uh, still hadn't really been climbed so it gave us that extra drive and passion for adventure there's no guidebook there's no trails um we just found them and climbed them and we ended up over three years getting 30 or more uh first ascents in our names some notable ones uh 270 foot wi4 plus ice line that we called Quantum Leap, a 220-foot WI-5 seat we called The King. A uh, bit about Matt. Uh, I met him when he started at the Fire Hall, and we've been adventure buddies pretty much ever since. We have similar risk tolerances, and I think we work well because we tend to be more conservative towards the person who's leading. So if Matt's leading a pitch, I don't want to see him get hurt. So... I'm always much more prone to watching out for him than he is for himself, maybe, and vice versa. Um, I don't know. We're, we're pretty silly out there. We act like 12-year-old boys. But when it's time to climb, um, we definitely get our head in the game for the most part. We're talking about objective hazards, you know, whether we're in avalanche terrain or uh, rock fall hazards. Um, if we're maybe pushing our grade a little bit or, or on-siting something um, or trying to you know, a first descent of a new route. Um, we definitely spend time discussing before we just get into it and climb. Uh, 
Matt's a dedicated husband, a soon-to-be father, and definitely an outdoor enthusiast, which recently also includes paragliding, which we're both getting into. So last year, um, February of 2017, we, Matt and I headed to the Salt Valley, and the objective of the day was to climb Salt Falls. And where is that? Um, it's it's kind of close to Tumbler Ridge, British Columbia. Um, so most of our climbing that we do is in northern BC. Um, there's not a huge climbing community up here, and there's really not a lot of information on the climbs up here. So you don't really hear too much about it, but it's starting to gain a little bit of traction, I think. So anyway, we we got up really early and left, and probably the first problem of the day is um, my, my, my phone started going off. Um, I was being texted and, and kind of looked, and I was being uh, provoked, if you will, uh, just to get into a bit of a, a text fight with my significant other at the time, and... The wise thing to do would have been to, you know, whatever, maybe to say, hey, I love you. I'll talk to you about this later. But I chose to engage and it definitely, I allowed it to sink in and uh, sort of alter my my mood and behavior that day. And pretty much from that point on, um, I just found I was being a little extra reckless uh, and careless throughout the day. Um but as we got down into the Salt Valley, it was still pretty early in the morning. It was still dawn. The sun hadn't rose yet. And we weren't quite ready to climb Salt Falls. We kind of wanted to keep it towards the later part of the day, just something to look forward to. So we <clears throat> ventured down Valley, and we found this really cool-looking ice line. And I guess before I continue, I'll just a little note that Matt was injured. He had a climbing-induced tendonitis from uh, a mountain trip we did on Mount Andromeda, and he hadn't recovered yet. So he was just kind of there for getting outside, getting into the woods, um, and to belay, but he wasn't doing any climbing that day himself. So after I climbed the first full rope length of this ice line, uh, we had discussed maybe V-threading and, and me wrapping down, but... Um, just kind of on my own doing, I just put in an ice screw and I linked the ropes there and I just continued up what ended up being about three more rope lengths to get to the top of this uh, ice line. And I'm generally not one to free solo. Uh, it was reasonably easy grade ice, but regardless in ice climbing, it's not like if you fall, uh, even on easier grade, you're really not stopping until the bottom. It's not like the movies where you can just kind of, you know, magically smash your ice axe in and you're going to hold yourself. Like, it's pretty rare that would happen. Um, so I ended up just deciding to be uh, a bit more bold that day and kind of forget about my responsibilities at home, like my kids, my family, my friends, and continued up to the top. Um, successfully, I decided to down climb back to where the ropes were V-threaded and rappel down to mat. Then we continued back up the valley a little bit and found some more ice seeps that uh, hadn't formed the previous year. And again, I was just <laughs> feeling like a cowboy that day. And I, uh, there was one ice seep 
that was WI4, so it was like vertical ice. And I wanted to see if it was possible to climb it with snowshoes on for whatever reason. Um, snowshoes have little barbaric crampons and said, hey, maybe I can lead climb, you know, this little ice fall or icy with snowshoes. Uh, thinking it'd be kind of comical, but it ended up being relatively sketchy. I don't recommend it. Um, but it just kind of maybe shows where my mindset was that day. I definitely wasn't giving the ice the respect it deserved. And after that, we uh, turned our attention to Salt Falls. So we headed back up the valley, and as we approached it, it was just absolutely uh, a beautiful piece of ice. I'll try to explain sort of how it looked and hope that maybe the listeners can get a bit of an understanding of how the events unfolded. Uh, the ice fall is about 100 feet tall. It's about 50 feet wide. And the far left side of the falls was about 10 to 15 feet shorter than the right side. Uh, the reason for this is just the natural lay of the land and also meltwater on the warmer days was kind of carving down sort of a, an ice valley, if you will, on the left side. And another notable feature on the left side of the ice fall were huge protruding ice bulges, which stuck out about six feet or more from the main fall. Uh, and as well, because of the natural funnel where the meltwater had been going on the warmer days, there was still an open hole at the bottom of the ice on the left side, which exposed the creek bed. And it had about a, a foot of just water running through it. Um, so we decided to stay away from the left side. It was easier grade ice and it was wet and would have been miserable. So we opted to climb the very far right side of the falls. Uh, this was the most challenging spot, which is what we were looking for. And it also had a good spot for Matt to belay from. The right side was in WI5 conditions, which means that it's super vertical. It offers mediocre pro, meaning that your ice screw cores are mostly empty or hollow, or you really have to search for good pro placements. And I decided to climb with a half, a half rope system to reduce the impact force on the ice screws in the event of a fall. But regardless, it was a super fun climb. And when I topped out, uh, Matt from the bottom took a photo of me and I linked a nearby spruce tree with some webbing and I rappelled down. Uh, we still had some time, so I decided to do a top rope lap from there. Um, but when I got to the top, I realized that we were getting maybe a bit short on time. Um, and at that point, I just was kind of scanning the top and I noticed the spruce tree that Matt and I rappelled off of the previous season when we were there. Now, this other tree was much more in line with the left side of the falls, but for some reason it kind of held nostalgia for me that day. Um, the previous season, Matt and I hiked into the Salt Valley, and we were hoping to snag the first ascent of Salt Falls. But when we were down in the valley, we found some flagging tape, which had a climbing party FA written on it. And re uh, we realized that we missed the first ascent by six days. So I, I don't know why, but I decided that even though we were tight on time, I was going to anchor to that new tree. 
for whatever reason, and I threw the ropes over the lip. And the note, the ropes naturally funneled down to the lowest point where the meltwater had kind of carved that ice valley. And the ropes dropped right into the open hole at the bottom. And just as a memory refresher, this is on the far left side of the fall. We were climbing on the right. And Matt yelled up to me that it was no good. And it was no good because the fall line of the rope went directly into the water at the bottom of the climb? Yeah, like... I didn't communicate. I didn't communicate at all to Matt that I was switching my setup, so he must have been confused because where the ropes were were like in a very nice location where where we'd been climbing. You know, when I rappelled off the tree, it was just everything worked out as it should. And then suddenly he sees me <clears throat> throwing ropes into open water. Um, it didn't make sense. He knew I was just going to get soaking wet and it was going to be miserable. So I decided to pull the ropes up and instead of taking the extra five minutes to, you know, detach my ropes, go and put it to the original location, I was just being kind of stubborn and was like, no, I still want to use this tree of nostalgia for some reason. And I threw the ropes over kind of where Matt was on the far right side of the fall. And I was just going to use a little ice feature at the top of the falls to kind of redirect the rope um, so that I was able to repel um, properly, I guess. But at the top of the falls, just because uh, there was no snow up there, there was some melting that had been going on. The, the ice was very, very smooth. And the only thing up there was this kind of ice hump that I guess kind of looked like a turtle shell maybe. And I decided to wedge the ropes kind of in the in the crease at the bottom of this bulge and see if the ropes would kind of hold the pressure of the redirect from there. I knew that this was a bad idea. Um, I knew it was risky, but I knew that if it held, it was going to neutralize the potential for a massive pendulum because if the rope popped over this hump, um, the rope naturally was going to want to swing about 50 feet to the left, and it was also going to go down 10 to 15 feet into this ice valley. Um, but anyway, I decided to accept the risk, and I kind of looked down, and I saw Matt's at the bottom. He had his phone out, and even though I usually always use a backup pressic, um, and I, for a few days afterwards, I actually thought I did have a backup pressic on. So for anyone who I misinformed storytelling, my apologies. But I decided that day to link my ATC up to the smooth side, so I could have a hyper aggressive rappel. A, because Matt was videoing and thought, hey, seven Instagram likes would be pretty sweet. Uh, but B, I really wanted to lose as much elevation as possible before my ropes popped over that bulge. Um, I was hyper aware of that possibility and definitely just chose to take the risk. So I hooked up my ATC and I weighted the rope with the rope kind of at the bottom of this ice hump. And as I weighted it, the ropes weren't moving. 
So I decided at that point to commit to the rappel. And after about three or four steps down, um, I, I felt the rope pop. It, it just kind of slid over the, this ice bulge. The, the chunk of ice that you slung to sort of redirect your rope? Yeah, exactly. I guess if you were looking at the rope from the top, it maybe would have looked like a like a 45-degree angle. Usually when you rappel, you know, your rope is nice and straight. But the, if you were looking at the top, my rope definitely had a, a pretty aggressive bend in it. So as soon as it popped over that ice bulge, the rope naturally wanted to go straight. And it just naturally wanted to go left. So I was due for a pretty hefty pendulum at that point. Uh, I wasn't overly concerned at that moment. I thought, you know, I'm just going to try to gain a little bit of control by um, just using my crampons to keep me square to the ice face uh, to try to brace or prepare for this. But then as I looked left, I saw just an enormous amount of slack building up in the system because it just from where the tree was to where I was, as soon as that rope popped, um, there was just suddenly a lot of extra rope in the system. And then as the rope was kind of going down to its natural spot, there was, I don't even know how many feet of slack in the rope, but it was substantial. Um, at that point I was just free falling and I started spinning off the wall. I locked my ATC off because I knew at that point um, I had no more control. And after I locked my ATC, I just told myself, here we go. And then the lights went off. I lost consciousness. Um, for some reason, my brain remembers that as a very peaceful time. <laughs> but then the lights came back on, and I just remember it was insanely bright outside, and I couldn't breathe. I was puking, and I was gasping for air, but air just couldn't seem to get in my lungs. I didn't understand why, and I didn't understand what was going on. Um, just from talking with Matt, it turns out that maybe after 40 or 50 feet of free fall, uh, I ran out of slack in the system. And at that point, I kind of started a full speed pendulum into the side of one of those ice bulges that were on the left side of the falls. So I very quickly fallen. He figures about 70 feet, but I also ended about 50 feet to the left of where I was originally starting to rappel from. Uh, Matt says, when I hit that ice bulge, I immediately lost consciousness as I just ragdolled. I went limp. And he says, after I bounced off there, I inverted and continued the last 30 feet. And I landed headfirst in that open hole of water. Uh, my head was fully submerged underwater and my body was all crumpled up. Um, but Matt hustled pretty quickly and he jumped into the hole without any hesitation and, and pulled my head out. He figures it was about a minute or so before he got my head out of the water. Um, and then he kind of helped 
pull me out right, but I don't know how long it took before I sort of became alert again and, and regain sort of full consciousness. Okay, okay, wait for one second. I just want to recap here. So you, you were about to rappel down, and you didn't want to wrap into open water, so you slung an ice bulge to redirect the rope. And then as you started to rappel sort of in a cowboy aggressive fashion, that rope slipped off of that ice bulge, pendulumed you over to the side where you sort of lost control of your rappel. Um, Then there's all the slack in the rope. So you end up free falling essentially 70 feet until your body hit the ice climb, inverted you, and then you fell um, the remaining 30 feet headfirst into open water. Yeah, and then at that point, I, I I don't know when it was, but I became more alert, and I realized that I could see some arms kind of by my chest, and I realized that Matt was kind of holding me up, and I kind of just yelled at him, like, Matt, what happened? And he's like, you fell, man, like, you got to get out of here. And, uh, and Matt was pretty shooken up uh, he he thought I had died like he when he picked me up and was holding me he he thought I was just straight up dead so I feel pretty bad for uh, putting him through that moment I guess in our climbing relationship um, anyway my my left crampon when I fall into the fully jammed into my right boot and I couldn't free my feet so Matt kind of helped free my feet and we struggled out of the hole and at that point I realized I was experiencing some pretty severe pain in my leg Um, I thought my leg may have been broken and I was bleeding and oozing I guess clearish or yellowish fluid out of all the holes in my head at a pretty deep wound on my right temple my helmet was caved in and cracked. My ice axe speared through all of my layers and stabbed into my back. Usually when you're ice climbing, you just kind of clip your ice tool to your harness on the way down to free it up and so that it doesn't fall. But in this particular situation, was uh, lined up pretty good to, to jam me in the back. I was just going to ask you where your ice tools were during all of this. Yeah, I, I usually just have my clip one either side of me. Um, so it was just sort of the one on my right side where probably when I smashed into that ice bulge, um, maybe that's when the ice axe went in, but the other ice tool didn't do any damage. And yeah, we were soaking head to toe. Um, I think it was 17 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so it was, it was cold. It wasn't ridiculous, but still being injured and three kilometers away from our truck, uh, we were still kind of concerned about hypothermia at that point. Um, obviously, I nearly drowned and was clearly showing signs of brain trauma to Matt. But <laughs> then I guess I turned around and, you know, I saw this big, beautiful ice fall and was like, Matt, we got to climb that. And, you know, again, he's like, you did, you did. Like, your ropes are there. We got to get you out of here. And I just kind of kept on, you know, repeating this process, which was really slowing things down. Matt was being pretty patient and gracious with me to try to help me out as my memory was resetting. But as, as time went on, I started making more sense of the situation and, uh, 
he just kept instructing me we had to go. And I, I have an in-reach uh, with me at all times when I'm in the backcountry. And uh, right away, we decided that we were going to send a GPS coordinate to a, a guy at the fire hall we knew was working. And there was spotty cell service down there, too. So Matt also got on the phone with him. And we decided to uh, start initiating a rescue through the fire department instead of just hitting the SOS feature, um, just because we happen to be in a privileged situation where we know the resources in the area. You know, we know a lot of the police and the ambulance. I personally know, you know, probably half, well, not half, but a good chunk of the Tumblr Ridge search and rescue team um, on a first name basis. So it just made more sense to contact the fire hall. And from there, they, said, yeah, we're going to get the rescue going. They knew where that area was, and they kind of took care of that on their end, which gave us the freedom to just focus on self-rescue. I found um, through the painful trial and error that if I kept my right crampon on and locked my knee off, I was just able to support my weight without buckling. So at that point, we were kind of off to the races, and... Uh, Matt did an amazing job packing snow ahead of me. Uh, I wasn't able to bend my leg or lift my leg. I kind of had to peg leg it by sort of pivoting my hips, um, just taking one step at a time. And given I was moving so slowly and getting so cold, uh, Matt sacrificed some of his layers to put on me, um, which I feel bad because I... A, he was cold, and I was getting blood all over his nice technical clothes. Um, and at that point, for whatever reason, my concern was that I was moving so slow, I wouldn't be able to make it back in time for a night shift. Uh, but he kept on insisting that I was not going to be able to work that night. And yeah, so through a slow process and painful process, we ended up making it to the top of this fairly steep valley and we ended up rescuing or self-rescuing about one and a quarter miles before the police made first contact with us. So the rescue didn't take too long, um, but there were a lot of people involved. And then he ended up taking an ambulance to the hospital. This is what happens next. Surprisingly, I wasn't at the hospital for very long. It was only an overnight thing. They did a CT scan on me and did some x-rays. And uh, one of the doctors said he's only ever seen soft tissue damage like that in warfare. And also my, my IT band, um, if any of the listeners know what your IT band is, I ended up putting about a fist-sized hole through it, um, which even today, it's been over a year now, I still have that hole. Um, but I guess I'm a little bit stubborn. And when I started going into physiotherapy daily and I was doing water therapy to help regain mobility, but the biggest motivator for some reason is I wanted to go back to Salt Falls and get my ropes back. <laughs> Other than physical repercussions from the accident, are you experiencing any like mental um, limitations? Just dealing with some brain issues, I guess, but they're, they're pretty minimal. It's mostly just kind of memory 
and sensory things. So, you know, strobe lights or bright environments, sunny days, loud music, anything that's like excessive uh, seems to rock me pretty good. I can't handle it as well as I used to be able to. Um, but with the memory issues, I have a smartphone and that seems to be kind of the band-aid for the issue. I'm able to put pretty much everything in there with multiple reminders and uh, it seemed to be able to manage life. Okay. And then, so what are some learnings that came out of this for you? Definitely one of them is, is just don't let your your attitude or your ego get in the way of climbing. Um, that was kind of my first mistake that day where I just let my attitude get the, the better of me. I thought it'd be fun to be, you know, a wild man, you know, swinging on ice. But I really failed in that moment to, you know, realize that there's a lot more going on than just me here. Like, yes, there's freedom and climbing, but there's also responsibilities, you know, your kids, your friends, your family, you know, me putting my climbing partner in a situation where, you know, he may be now putting himself at risk, you know, Matt put himself in a, you know, mild hypothermic state because of my deliberate errors. Um, you know, he was a good friend and he sacrificed some layers and, um, you know, worked pretty hard to, to help get me out of there. But that was all because of my attitude problem. Well, and then to piggyback on that same quote unquote attitude problem issue, um, I think we should also take a look at the very beginning of your day. You know, starting off your day arguing with a loved one can cause someone to not be fully present in the mountains. And, and the mountains is a place where, where one needs to be fully present. Yeah, no, that, that was like, that's kind of what set me off. But I don't, I don't blame her by any means. Like it's just, you know, relationships, you have those moments and maybe when you choose to fight or start a fight, it's not necessarily the best timing, but I'm fully responsible for how I chose to react to that. I could have reacted very calmly and uh, instead I chose to sort of meet the level of whatever hostility coming towards me. so that was that was my choice. Mm-hmm. And and another point that I saw is regarding the miscommunication or the the non communication between you and Matt before the repel. Yeah, we Matt and I generally communicate. I would say pretty clearly. Um, I don't know why I really didn't communicate what I was doing. He, I don't even think he knew what actually happened until we sort of talked about it a couple days later. Um, maybe it's because he was down quite far, like he was within, you know, yelling distance. Um, I don't know, or maybe because we were short on time and I just said, whatever, I'm just going to do this. And, you know, he wasn't really directly responsible for my, uh, my repel. I was doing it all on my own, but regardless, just, sharing your plan with your partner might give them the opportunity to bounce some logic back to you. If maybe your head's not in the right place, even if you're doing it all on your own. Um, and I guess another couple lessons is if you know, it's dangerous, then fix it. Um, when I decided to redirect the rope over that ice hump, I was well aware it was dangerous. 
Um, so it's not like it was some freak accident um, or I was even ignorant to the situation. I was very, very aware of what may happen. I remember even kind of looking over to the left and sort of roughly gauging if it pops, where am I going to land and am I going to be able to, you know, absorb this force? And like, I was playing the whole worst case scenario over in my head and still chose to neglect all of that and just say, no, I'm going to go for a ride. Like, you know, let's just see what happens here. Um, so yeah, it's just, if you know, notice those blaring sort of danger factors, don't ignore them. Um, it's not worth, it's just not worth it. <laughs> if you're trying to prove something or, you know, trying to, you know, get it a little adrenaline boost or whatever, it's just not worth it. There are a couple of last points that Ryan and I chatted about towards the end of our conversation. The first being rushing his turnaround time. So slow down and pay attention to your turnaround time. Secondly, feeling the pressure and amusement of getting that Instagram picture to possibly get a couple of likes on social media. And finally, he says, Don't break your own rules. You know, I um, always had a backup safety device. I use a Sterling hollow block. They're called their... Or they grab the rope super aggressively. Um, a lot of times, especially if the rope's a bit wet, they're actually kind of a pain because they just want to bite the rope so hard. But I know that in the events where I completely let go of my ATC, it's going to catch me. And I chose to sort of break my own personal rules that day um, just to have that hyper-fast repel. And at the time, it seemed like a great idea. You know, I, I thought it was going to be lots of fun and even if the rope popped I thought I was going to go for a pretty fun swing ride but turned into being more of a free fall slash pendulum um, with some fairly serious injuries I'd like to say thank you to Ryan for being vulnerable enough to come on the show and share his experience to help minimize incidents in the future Thanks to the American Alpine Club for supporting me throughout this project. If you are not a member yet, sign up. There are so many member benefits, including supporting this podcast. When you get a minute, you should check out the Sharp Ends website for more pictures and information on each episode. Simply Google the Sharp End Podcast. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor. And thank you to the Colorado Howard Bound School and Health IQ for being contributing sponsors. The Colorado Howard Bound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years. They offer wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range in 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 plus and include backpacking, mountaineering, canyoneering, rafting, and rock climbing. Visit www.cobs.org to plan your next adventure. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like us. Climbers, alpinists, skiers, runners, cyclists, strength trainers, and more. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com backslash sharp. Or mention the promo code SHARP when you talk to a Health IQ agent. And as always, 
If I didn't have you listening and learning, what would all of this be for? So thank you. Until next time, play hard and be smart.